You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, and I'd like to welcome you to a special series today that focused on diabetes. I am Dr. Danny Petrasic, your host, and with me today are two special guests, Dr. Lewis Philipson of the University of Chicago and Lori Jaffe, who is the mother of Lily, who is the beneficiary of a recent breakthrough therapy for neonatal diabetes. Please, Lori, so you have to convince Lily to try this new therapy and to wean her off the insulin pump. How did that go? Well, she was reluctant, but she came around and was willing to be brave and be courageous and take that plunge in going to, you know, a scary place, a a hospital. She had never been in a hospital before other than when she was first diagnosed as a baby and, of course, didn't remember that. And having all eyes on her, she was a pretty shy child, and the idea of everybody kind of looking at her under a microscope, so to speak, was pretty intimidating to her. So, you know, we had to overcome a lot of that, and she did step up, and she was amazingly brave, and, you know, we encouraged her to express what she was thinking and she was feeling and we tried to explain everything to her and you know she became comfortable with everything that was going on and I would say midway into our stay she actually started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and seeing the possibilities of being off of insulin and taking the pills. The pills were pretty easy for her to take. They were small, and she felt proud that she as a a then six-year-old could take pills and her eight-year-old brother couldn't take pills. I have to say it was an interesting experience because part of the initial transition is to turn down the insulin. So I certainly felt that there was some serious questions <laughs> by the Jaffe's, whether this Philipson guy knew what he was doing, as their sugars were initially probably worse than they'd been in a well, long time, if ever. And on day two, I remember her sugars were way up in the 300s, and she was spilling high amounts of ketones, which she in her whole life had never spilled anything more than, you know, very, very small amount of ketones. So there were some stressful moments, but I think by day four, we turned a corner. We were on dramatically less insulin. And at the beginning of her stay, of course, they did the C-peptide test to assess whether her body was producing any insulin, which, of course, it was not. And on day four, Dr. Philipson ordered a repeat of the C-peptide test, and we knew that it would take a day to get the results back, so we were all kind of waiting wondering what the results were going to be. And I'll never forget the look on Dr. Philipson's face as he walked into our room with a glimmer in his eye and told us that Lily, for the first time in her entire life, was producing normal amounts of insulin. I just can't imagine. It it was an amazing moment. Tears and hugs all around. And um, And it was actually, we already had even a little bit more than that, because not only was her baseline C-peptide positive, but she had a post-meal excursion, so an increase after a meal. So the normal response. Absolutely. Dr. Philipson, how satisfying 
as a physician at this point, was that experience for you? Well, I can't begin to tell you. I mean, and it's like a drug, obviously, and then you want that feeling over and over again. And I have to say that thanks to the Jaffees, there's a, a bunch of things we should point out. One is that we've now had this experience more than 15 times in the last year. So we have patients from all over the country, from Orlando to Anchorage, who have heard about Lily. Most of them, it's because the families themselves heard about Lily. In a couple of instances, the doctors contacted us. But mostly it's the incredible network that patients with type 1 diabetes have that said, gee, my kid had early onset diabetes. I wonder if it's the same. So to have 15 more experiences like that, this has made this one of the most remarkable years in, in my life professionally, if not, I mean, arguably the most remarkable flat out. We know about five additional cases from the 15 or so that we've been directly involved in diagnosing that have been diagnosed uh, through the couple of commercial outfits. And so at least in a few of those cases, the doctors have asked us to help out with this transition since it has these sort of interesting effects, and there's both a, an inpatient approach and an outpatient approach for the older kids. So maybe there are 30 that we know about in the entire United States, and thanks to the Jaffees being interested in this in a way that is just remarkable, that they want as many people as possible to know about this, the JDRF has, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation has graciously helped us to set up a national neonatal diabetes registry. So the funding for that has now been approved, and we have the Institutional Review Board approval to do this registry, and we're now gearing up to allow patients on a, on a website, which will soon be launched, web patients and doctors to contact us for additional information and to maintain this registry. So I think those are all really critical things. It's such a great experience for both the physician and the family to be able to go through this together. I can't even imagine. Considering the number of diabetics out there that had been diagnosed with neonatal diabetes many, many years ago, perhaps, there must be a population of some number of kids walking around with diabetes that could have this mutation. And that's why I'm delighted that you know, we're doing this show and why some of the publicity that has come up in the newspaper articles from time to time uh, have been so important. Each time there's something that comes out there, we get another couple of, of cases that seem to be high probability. Now, of course, many people call us with children that don't fit or, or they themselves that don't quite fit. Diabetes beyond a year, never checked for antibodies and, and so on, and, and it clearly isn't this. But given the other countries in the world where cases have been described, there's somewhere between 300 and maybe a couple thousand cases in the United States, without a doubt. And, and we have, as I said, maybe 30. So they're out there. And what we found is that not only are, are they out there, but there are other people with monogenic causes of diabetes, either neonatal diabetes or later, that are also undiagnosed. In some cases, we can help make that diagnosis, point them in the right direction. And in at least one case, we've identified a new gene uh, just this year in a family that came to our attention because of this publicity. We were able to sort out a new gene, and that was just published in the Proceedings of the National Academy uh, just two weeks ago. Congratulations. I, I did see that article. I want to just ask uh, Lori one question, then I want to get back to you, Dr. Philipson. Lori, so how is Lily doing now? Oh, my goodness. She is doing so beautifully. She's been off of 
the pump now and completely insulin-free for over one year. She has adapted beautifully in every way to life without her pump. She feels great and is enjoying a new sense of normalcy that she's never experienced in her life before. And I'd say she really has a spring in her step and has come into her own. And I think that we're really seeing her personality emerging for the first time because she physically feels great. That's just so marvelous. I'd love to be able to check in on you sometime in the future and see how that is going because that's just the greatest outcome you could hope for. Oh, we'd be happy to. We feel like it's a true blessing for our family, too, to have a normal life. Absolutely. And what long-lasting impression this experience is going to have for Lily, you know, who knows? You know, it's it's going to really change her outlook on life, I'm sure. I'm sure. Dr. Philipson, so I know there are many things that we would like to ask you about your own research, but in general, it would be interesting for us to know, are there other new therapies for the other types of type 1 diabetes? You know, of course, what we're discovering is that there are lots of subtypes, and what we're calling them to some extent is type 1B after George Eisenbarf at the Barbara Davis Center in Denver, who I think was coined that terminology, where type 1A is insulin-absent diabetes of the autoimmune type, and type 1B might be everything else, and permanent neonatal diabetes would be maybe a subset of of 1B. But what we found and what Hattersley uh, has described in his wonderful recent reviews is that there are probably five or six genes that are together associated with most of neonatal diabetes. Now, there are other kinds of monogenic diabetes that come up a little bit later in life. One of those is the gene that we've just discovered, as I mentioned, where mutations in the insulin gene itself can be so severe as to cause the beta cells to die. And it can look much like what Lori Jaffe just said about her family, that while in some families there are multiple members with diabetes that are antibody negative, it can also happen spontaneously. You know, maybe there's a hot spot, a mutation that happens in the germline so that we don't see any family history. Some of these mutations are peculiar because some members of the family will have type 1 diabetes. Some members look like they have type 2 diabetes, but they're usually thin. And in fact, then they all have the same mutation. I'd like to thank Dr. Lewis Philipson of the University of Chicago School of Medicine and Lori Jaffe for being our guest today and we've been discussing neonatal diabetes. I'm Dr. Danny Petrasic, and you've been listening to a special series, Focus on Diabetes on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. 